Welcome to Accounting High. Being a bank kind of sucks. It actually doesn't get you really much of anything. We can lend, we can issue cards, we can do deposits, we can do all that. I'm not a bank. I'm just, it's really unclear actually what being a bank does for you. But if you just ship out, like, actually, the, uh, do we offer banking functionality? Yeah, it's like we basically do all that. So yeah, so I'd say from the customer perspective, the customer, like we're effectively a bank and that'll become more and more true over time for a lot, of, not just us, for a lot of people. Systems with tech allowances, fintech vendors with some cloud outfits, but now they're coding this computer science for accountants. In fact, I'm remoting in new tools, paperless, asynchronous for data analysts, APIs to find all your SaaS apps connected, cloud computing plugins for your implementation, automate technology to leverage the meta, disrupt your desktop, then break it down. We're sharing metrics, AI to the GPT to the AI disrupt. Bitcoin, Ethereum, and crypto agents disrupt. Time to tweak your tech team and make some changes disrupt. If my staff quit, I still have automation disrupt. Last episode just went viral. Let's go, it's gonna make your head spiral. Scarano, Casey, Sunshine, Accounting High Show. The lab is ready, it's tech time, yo. Glitch, it's tech time. Disrupt, it's tech time. Disrupt. It's tech time at Accounting High. It's tech time. Disrupt. It's tech time. Disrupt. It's tech time. Disrupt. It's tech time at Accounting High. It's tech time. Disrupt. It's tech time. Nick's McKenzie and Scott Scarano. We're going to have a problem here. But the real star of this show is our very special guest, David Barrett from Expensify. Well, I'm flattered to be here. Thanks so much. You're flattered to be here. I thank you for coming on. Thank you so much. This is this is I'm so excited. I'm like Nervous. I don't even know what I'm going to say right now. So you got to hold me back. <laughs> Scott's been texting me like nonstop for like the last two weeks. Yeah. You're a big inspiration for me, like personally. Oh, cool. And okay. big inspiration for me. <sighs> Who are your inspirations? Who inspires you? Well, well that's interesting. Hmm. Um, I think it's much easier to be inspired by fictional characters than real characters. Ooh. Um because real characters are complicated and you don't actually know them. I think the greatest romance ever written has got to be you know, Pride and Prejudice. And so if I could be any model myself after anyone, I would be some combination of Mr. Darcy and like Rochester from like Jane Eyre, like some combination there. But the thing is, I know everything there is to know about Mr. Darcy because I've read every single word of that book. We actually know that character. And so I can be inspired by that character. I don't know, you take some real world person like people are like, oh, I'm so inspired by Elon Musk. It's like, really? That guy's complicated. And you don't know him. You don't know anything about this guy, really. And so I think people 
are inspired by like a cherry picked selection of the things that they like, and then they ignore everything else. And so that's not, that's not real inspiration though. This is basically like, I don't know what you're learning by cherry picking the evidence in that particular way. And so I don't know, I think that I find this, uh, fictional characters more inspirational because you can actually know them. And I don't really know, I don't know if I'm, I don't know anyone here well enough to be super inspired by them. Oh, I like that. When I think of fictional characters, you get the full picture with them. Like there's nothing, there's yeah. a lot of complexities with some good characters. Good characters have a lot of complexities. Like think Tony Soprano or think anybody in Game of Thrones. Mm. Um, so uh, I love that. Yeah, I mean, I think that for me, uh, Cersei is a great inspiration. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe in some cases, <laughs> she's probably the least inspirational of all of them, but we could go there too. <laughs> but yeah, so, so then tell us something that you really f***ed up, like along the way, so a big mm. mistake that you made. Because, you know, I said you're an inspiration to me, but now I want you to knock that down a little bit. Tell me why you shouldn't be an inspiration to me. <laughs> well, first, you should be inspired by me. Uh, let's go. They up. Let's see. I think the, I mean, the challenge is I just, I just don't really think in that way. Like in this, like imagine you're exploring a mountain range to find some sort of pass and you like, you go to a dead end. You're like, damn it. I f***ed up. You're like, you're like, no, I explored this pass. This one's not going to work. I just need to find the new one. And so I think that the concept of like giant mistakes, that's just not how I think about things. Mm -hmm. It doesn't resonate with me. It's like, I feel confident at any point in time. I'm always doing the best that I can with the information I have recognizing that I am fallible and the information's incomplete. And so if something doesn't work out, I don't like lambast myself or something like this. I say, it's like, okay, well, cool. I mean, I just learned a very expensive lesson. And so I'd say like some of those are very expensive lessons. I mean, I think there's some along the way. That's probably the biggest is ever trusting venture capitalists. VC is probably the worst. And I can go on and on about this forever. And some of it's just, it's just so obvious in retrospect. I just feel like humiliated that I didn't see it coming, just how deceptive they are and how they're just not aligned with their business success really at all. And so the biggest mistakes I made in the history of the company were ever believing what the VCs said and like buying into their and then making horrible, conceivably like near catastrophic mistakes according to that. And so once we stopped, once we kind of like learned that lesson, we're like, oh, that's right. They actually don't give a shit about us. Oh, of course. Then I could kind of like recalibrate, if you will. But there are some probably big blunders along the way until I kind of made that decision. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Because obviously everything they do is driven by money. And I don't think that's the case with you and your company. But, but even there, I would say that I don't buy into this kind of zero-sum mindset where like, you know, if you can ask me what the root of all evil is, which you didn't, but, you know, I'll seed that question, I would say it's got to be altruism. It's got to be the concept of sacrifice itself being a good thing. Because the only thing that's guaranteed to happen with sacrifice is that you are harmed. It doesn't guarantee anyone's helped. It definitely guarantees that you're harmed, though. And I think that when we elevate and celebrate this concept of sacrifice, all we're really doing is celebrating self-harm. And it might or might not help someone else. And then when you look back, I would say over most sacrifice, it actually doesn't help anyone else. Like you can see this in your own life where it's like, you know, you're like with a friend or something like this. And it's like, where do you want to go to dinner? And you could say like, I want to go to this particular place. But instead you're like, I don't know. What do you want? And they're like, I don't know. What do you want? And then someone holds out some option and be like, well, that's, that's what you want. Oh, okay, cool. We'll do it your way. And they're like, oh, okay, whatever. And then everyone has a terrible dinner or something like this. That's just the common case of sacrifice. And sacrifice is not a sustainable path for long-term Change. If you want to save the world, you can't do it through sacrifice because there's just 
You can't kill yourself enough times in order to do anything successful or good. Real change happens with a business model. And it has to be a profitable business model because it has to be scalable and sustainable. And everyone involved has to feel good about the experience. And so I think that the only way you can save the world is actually by building uh, an organization which is fundamentally positive and fun and successful. Like we, our internal motto is live rich, have fun, save the world. And this is not in sequence. It's not like someday after enough success, you can start trying to save the world. It's trying to say like, no, every day you should be thinking about all three of these. You should, every day should be awesome. Like your average boring day should be awesome. And then you should always be just getting like top, thinking back to that, like, oh man, that, that vacation would take, it was like a once in a lifetime opportunity. That was amazing. And, and I'm so excited for the next day. You should always be between kind of like bucket list items. And you should also be thinking, it's like everything I'm doing is contributing to a better world. And I feel confident and I can trace all my actions back to that. I think that's a life well lived and sacrifice plays no part of that. So I don't know where you can mark the question. No, you nailed it. That's, like, that's my that's, answer. No, no, I like that. <laughs> like have fun. We released an episode on purpose and I felt like that was I mean, it is not about me, but it is, that, that was like my purpose. That was like finding my purpose in life was I've never taken anything that seriously. And everybody yeah. around me, surrounding me, especially in the accounting profession, takes themselves too seriously, takes life too seriously, takes work too seriously. And we should all be just having fun. Like, how could you not have fun at work if you're going to spend half of your days there? Oh, absolutely. Like this whole concept like of work-life balance, I think is a kind of a... I would say almost like a toxic concept mm -hmm. in the sense that if, if it's viewed as like, you know, work and life are, you know, like oil and water, that they're, they're just like designed to be apart. I think that it, it sets you up for this tension. It's like lifelong battle where essentially you say like half of my life is squandered in the service of the other half of my life. And I think that's just kind of a attitude. I think that we should view life. The balance should be like oil and vinegar. You should shake it up really nice and make a salad dressing out of it. It could be delicious together, but only if it's well mixed. And so I think that Rather than doing balance as sort of opposing forces on a scale, it should be balanced like, you know, like a Jenga set. It's like, if everything's well balanced, it means it's all standing very tall and every piece of it is bearing weight every day. And so I don't know, I think this, like the, the secret to happiness and success is to your point, purpose is basically, do you believe that your actions are advancing you to, to some sort of long-term personal purpose? And it doesn't matter what you're doing. Like if you're stacking bricks, it can be like boring as or it can be amazing if you're building a doghouse or something like that. Like just the difference is not the action itself, it's the outcome of that action. And if you don't know what your outcome is, then yeah, your life sucks. But if you can find that outcome, no matter what you're doing, can be amazing. You said in an interview, Expensify is just the Venn overlap of personal ambitions. Yeah. You know, you described the hiring process and your team, and I loved the, the three qualities that you look for. It's ambition, talent, and humility. Yeah. How do you identify humility in an early phase process when you're hiring? Mm. Great question. So I'd say our, so our interview process is primarily focused on talent because that's the most measurable and that's the easiest thing. And so we define talent as the ability to learn without being taught and teach others what you know. And so it's, it has nothing to do with experience. Experience is cheap. It just meant like you didn't get fired. Experience just happens. It's the exhaustive life, if you will. But I'd say talent is something that you can have. It's not to say it's intrinsic, because I actually do think it's a set of skills which can be large and improved, but it doesn't require a lot of time. It doesn't require experience to get. So, anyway, so talent, I would say, is, is the easiest to measure for because 
you can put someone into a testing scenario, um, and then we can evaluate their ability to grapple with that problem, that same exact problem, relative to hundreds of other people who have gone through the exact same thing. It's kind of like in Westworld, where they try to create a baseline, basically the same thing. Throw everyone in that same room, put in the same exact exercise, and see how they perform against the baseline. And so talent's the easiest for that. Second, I would say is ambition. Ambition's interesting for a long time. So I, uh, I would talk to every single candidate. My whole role was to sort of suss out ambition. And I'd only ask basically like one question in a few, few different ways. And that would be, so I'd like, you know, be at the very end of the interview, they're like basically done, team loves them, things like this. And then I'd ask them, it's like, hey, you know, what questions do you have for me? How can I, you know, or how can I answer? They talk for about 45 minutes. And eventually they'll ask, it's like, do you, do you have any questions for me? And I say, oh yeah, just the one. What do you want to do with the rest of your life? And how can expensify help? And almost all failing answers, I would reject a tremendous number of candidates. And all failing answers sound the same. Most people would say like, I want to learn. I want to work hard. I want to solve hard problems. You know, maybe someday I want to be like a CTO, something like that. Something like really ambiguous. It doesn't actually like say any sort of unique personal sort of insight. Then ask again. It's like, okay, well, you know, I'm like, you just said a series of things you want to do, not anything that you want to accomplish. Let's try that again. Like imagine you're in your deathbed, looking back over your life, friends and family around you. What do you want to say is your greatest achievement, your greatest accomplishment in life? And all the failing answers, it sounds something like, well, I want to know that I did my best. My family is my greatest achievement, things like this. It's like literally 8 billion, billion people would agree with that. Like that is not ambitious if you're a, it's a statement of the human condition. Not to say it's not good. I have a family. My kid's great. But like, I think that that's not a unique sort of desire, if you will. And the third chance and the last chance would be, it's like, okay, imagine you have a million or a billion dollars in your pocket. What would you do with it? Uh, the mo most people say like, well, you know, I'd invest it. I'm like, <laughs> Millionaire, you need more money. Or they would say like, uh, well, I donate a lot of it. I'm like, you have so little inspiration, you can't even spend your own money. One guy, my favorite answer was like, well, I'd buy my brother a laptop. I'm like, I hope so. Um, and, and it's basically like all these like really just banal sort of answers. And it's shocking. So now just recently we've handed off this question because I've done it hundreds of times. And now we've got a team of people who are doing it and everyone's blown away how consistent the bad answers are. It's just shocking. The passing answers are just always wild. They're just crazy. And a lot of them are just like super personal. It's something about like, they have this personal issue uh, that they've grappled with and there's not a good solution to that issue. And so they've actually thought about it. They've tried to solve it themselves. They get blocked with something. They get frustrated and they're at, they wanna take a job so they can learn more about it, get some sort of skills, get resources to go back and solve that real personal thing. That's amazing because that person is driven by an internal fire that person doesn't work for me. They work for themselves. They're using me to get to some long-term personal ambition. And I'm like, use me. It's great. Like that's how this all works well is if everyone is driven by what they want. So that's, you know, talent, ambition, humility. The third one is the hardest. We have no idea how to test for it. It's just because anyone, anyone can keep their together for an interview. Mm -hmm. Like anyone can keep their together for like a month, a year, maybe even a couple of years. But after a while, you're advanced in the company, you've got some, some street cred, you've got like your posse, whatever it is, then like the real you eventually comes out. And so I don't think we really know the real you for a long time after hiring. And I would say some of the biggest challenges actually in managing, because we have super high employee retention, like our average employee has been here like, I think it's been like six years. And I think our management team's been over 10. So it's like, we, people stick around basically forever. And then after a couple of years, there's actually like the real them comes out. And that can be a really dangerous situation. When you're hiring all these people that are super ambitious, 
how to keep everyone on the same page and moving in the same direction because typically ambitious people mm. they have their own ideas in some ways they're their own visionaries so how do you make sure that you're articulating your vision for Expensify and then making sure everyone's moving in the same direction? Well, I would say to a large degree, we just don't. <laughs> and uh, our app has a big surface area. There's a lot going on. We like solve a lot of different use cases for a huge range of the market, a million different ways. We get like a nonprofit. We take our company overseas for a month every year with families. And so there's a bunch of planning that goes with that. There's like a ton of going on in this company. We just opened an art gallery in our basement. We've got a our San Francisco office, we converted into a public lounge. Basically, show up and get like free cocktails, Wi-Fi, coffee, and with an amazing view. You should go at 88 Kearney, just like show up and just work out of our office. So it's like, there's so much going on here. It can, it's very chaotic. So I think a lot of companies are modeled after the military. And it's basically mm. the idea of like, we want the Roman guard, like the Praetorians up front sort of thing. Like, you know, everyone's in this perfect formation, moving towards a well-defined goal that no one in the army picked, basically. It's kind of like the vision for most companies. And it's very mechanical. It's like everyone has one job. They're hired to do that one job. They're hired because they've done that one job their entire lives. And if they start doing anything but that one job, they'll be fired. And that's like how most companies are structured. We have a very, very different approach. Expensify is like a garden, like a, 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 like a magical, mysterious garden where everyone every day is planting seeds that we've never seen before. It's like, oh, I just found this magic bag of seeds. I'm going to plant this. I have no idea how long it's going to take to grow. It might not grow. It might actually be poisonous. I have no <laughs> clue. Let's just find out. And so it's like a, it's a mysterious place where like every day something new comes up where it's like, oh, that's cool. We started talking about that years ago. You were working on it the whole time? Well, that's neat. And so I'd say to a very large degree, we, we try to prioritize the autonomy of individuals because like I don't know what they want to do. I don't know what they can do. And I also don't have access to all the information of like what even needs to be done. And so I'd say we say our goal is to put everyone in touch with reality and say like, do whatever you want. Do whatever you want with your time because I don't know what the best use of your time. The only condition, however, is that one, before you do anything, like anything big at least, just tell everyone what you're going to do. Just like, hey, everyone, I'm going to do this particular thing. What do you think? Like you're not asking them for their permission. You're not waiting for them to say yes. You're just telling, giving everyone kind of like an advisory. Like, this is about to happen. Do you think it's cool or not? And then people chime in. And then naturally, the, the things that people are excited by, they kind of group up. If you're like, I can do this thing. And everyone's just like, it's like crickets. Or everyone's just like, why? That's dumb. Or like, well, I'm going to solve this particular problem. They're like, that's not a real problem. People don't want to do stuff that's stupid. So they're like, oh, okay, maybe I won't do that thing. I thought it was cool. But now the talk, I didn't ask your permission. I didn't ask you to convince me not to do it. But I do want to do good stuff. And I value your feedback. And that's where the humility comes from is to actually solicit and value the advice of others. And so we create an environment where people have that humility and have the transparency and the, the safety to fail, to throw out an idea. People are like, nah, that's not very good. And they just, then they're like, but there's, you know, haven't committed yourself to it. It's not like you, it's like, well, I need to see it through or it's going to be humiliation or something like that. It's like, eh, maybe not. Like that plant sucks. Just like prune it, whatever. So yeah. I'd say that's one thing is you have to tell everyone what you're going to do ahead of time and, and accept feedback. Uh, and the second is, your compensation is determined by your peers. Mm. Um, and so it's like, sure, you can do whatever you want, but if it sucks, you're not going to make much money. And so it's like, you have to do what people around you think, but if you don't and you like consistently ignore their feedback, that's going to come back and bite you because you're going to rank really low and your compensation is going to suck. And eventually there's like, and there's more to it than that. Like, you know, there's all these edge cases we could go into and how we handle for those edge cases, but those are kind of the large principles. So tell us more about your compensation model. 
Well, so it works like this twice a year, everyone in the company signs into this tool that we built. And it just brings up basically two people left and right. And it has like their name at top. Uh, it's like, hey, as a reminder, here's a GitHub handle, here's a Slack handle, here's an email address, and here's the actual name, often which are all completely different, which is confusing. And then it's basically like, here's a bunch of stacks side by side. Like, here's how many GitHub issues this person's put. Here's their Stack Overflow rank and how it's changed the past six months. Here is um, how many Slack conversations they've had in work-related channels. Um, here is, uh, how's, here's how many Slack channels they participate in. In our concierge tool, it's like, here's how many conversations you had with customers. Here's how many calls you took with customers. Here's uh, um, how many PRs you closed, how many commits you made. And just like every single metric you could possibly imagine, side by side, for everyone. Because we don't have any internal teams, like, or speaking more generally, but like, there's no defined role. Like, you're not hired to do one particular thing. You can get literally do anything. And so we just say, cool, here's what they did so far as the metrics show. And here's kind of like a Twitter length bio on themselves. Basically, like, here's what they did in their own words in the past six months. Um, you see it side by side. And then the question at the top is, who do you think should be paid more? Left or right? And then you do that. It's like, oh, left, you know, Alice more than Bob, Bob more than Kathy. And they do this about 7,000 times. And then you have ranked basically every single person against every other person. And we can do some things to dedupe it and like streamline a little bit like this. And then once everyone has done this in the company, uh, then basically this pretty rich data set of like, what is the value of everyone from the perspective of everyone? And then we can normalize it. We can filter it. We can do a bunch of stuff and like statistical analysis bring it down to a formula, we plot that in a curve, and we say, boom, this is your new compensation. You didn't ask for a raise, but you got one because everyone thinks you're awesome. Oh, you did ask for a raise? Well, you're not going to get one because no one thinks you're awesome. Like, it's like, who would you even ask it to? Everyone? Like, that doesn't work. And so it's just a completely different kind of mentality for the only way you game the system is that you just super kick ass in front of everyone. Mm -hmm. And it's like, way to go. That's just called being a great employee. <laughs> so do you ever worry about unconfirmed biases and something like that? All the time, all the time. I think that's the thing about systemic bias is it's systemic. It's like, it's there. Like you can't deny it. it's, it's, it's absolutely there. And so the question is, how do you control for bias as much as possible? And I think there's a number of, I mean, obviously there's a million types of bias, if you will. And then of course we can get to like, from like a pay gap perspective, there's a controlled pay gap versus uncontrolled pay gap. It's basically for the same exact role are two people being the same uh, versus for the same exact point in their career, are they being paid the same? It's kind of two different ways to view it. And I think the uncontrolled one is the more interesting. But regardless, I would say, yes, bias is a, a very tricky thing. One thing you can do is one bias is like, does that person just hate that other person for some weird reason? They just have a thing against each other. Well, that actually shows up in the data pretty obviously because it's like, whoa, they rank them way out of the norm. And so there's something weird going on between them. You can kind of filter off the, the extremes, if you will, and, and, and take care of kind of the individual biases. And so I'd say when it comes to like, like systemic bias, it's like if you have concerns with like women or like this particular race or something like this, that's so much harder to evaluate. And so I'd say we do things like in the tool, it doesn't show photos, for example. That was my, yeah. Um, it doesn't yeah, it doesn't show a lot of these obvious indicators. It's focused on the data. And so the data, it tries to make as just as possible. Is it perfect? Well, perfection is unachievable. Mm -hmm. I think that's the, the, the wrong measure. I would say, is it better? than what you would do through traditional and say, yeah, like before, like typically your entire career is in the hands of one person who makes a decision without any metrics behind it. And like, so that's the bar. It's not a high bar to jump. I think we jump that bar. I don't think we're anywhere near perfection, but I think we're much closer than most places. That's fascinating. And that was, that was my question is like, 
if you have pictures of people, you know, inherently everybody's going to vote for the more attractive person. Like it doesn't matter what the stats are. That's why I would always win. Yeah, of course. <laughs> like I, but that's, I mean, that's, that's an unconfirmed bias that we all live every day. And I think that that's, it's a little hard to judge on that. So that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. But for a lot of this stuff, I think that when, when I started the company, it was basically like, I want, I said, I want to start a company that I never want to leave, which sounds obvious. But almost no one does that. And because from day one, they start making compromises on the company they work at, the company they build and do things this they don't like. Like it's so often to be like, ugh, this sucks, but eh, it's what we gotta do. And I think that our attitude is like, do we? Do we actually have to do that? Like, why? Is it is it some law that says we have to do it that way? The fact that others have done it that way is just irrelevant. It's not even part of our thought process. That's basically like what what is possible to do? What is legal to do? Cool, let's just do that then. And that's driven us in this very unusual path. Like, Sunshine yeah. is a bizarre place to be, and not just one way, in like a million ways. And that's great. It makes it bizarrely awesome. But it only comes by this, it's not a desire to be iconoclastic in the sense that it's not like I'm, we're trying to do things different just for the sake of doing it different. We're saying like, it just doesn't matter what others have done. Kind of like, we don't actually know those companies. Kind of like your, this thing on, on a Romo. Like, I, we don't know anyone else. I don't know actually the problems that like Elon Musk has or something like this. You can't follow in his footsteps because like, I didn't grow up a billionaire with a supermodel mom and a bunch of jewel, uh, like gem mines. It's like, that's not my background. And so I, there's, there's, there's what to learn from that. And so I think like modeling your company after someone else's company, especially a company that you hated and didn't like, if you like that company, go much, just go work there. You don't want to apply there. Like don't model yourself after it. So thinking differently and being different at the core everybody's different. So you're really just being yourself and just staying true to you in a way. Yeah. I, I agree with that. It's kind of like everyone, you like you're an entrepreneur because you think you're smarter than the next person. But like, why do you ask the next person for advice then? Like, it's like, you get, just pick a lane. Yeah. Pick a lane and stick with it. So Expensify just announced that you guys are now offering payroll for free for users of the yeah. app. Walk me through the decision to create that product. And what was that like? And remember, our audience is accountants too. So Yeah, I've, I've heard that. <laughs> um, well, yeah, I mean, but this is not some like surprising thing. We've been talking about payroll for a very, very long time. It's only surprising if you just didn't believe us all along. And I think most people did. So that's why it's surprising. It's just like, oh, you, act, you actually did it. Well, I just didn't see that coming. But we've talked about it for ages. And I would say... What makes Expensify very unusual as a product is that it's not an expense reporting product. It was never built to be an expense reporting product. It's this very general purpose payments platform. And we just happened to start with expense management because it has a number of great sort of features to it. One, it's the most complicated payment you can make on the planet. Like there is no more complicated type of payment than an expense report. It's denormalized. It's, you know, uh, there's employees there, there's documentation, there's audit trails, there's approvals, there's uh, integration to CRM, your HR system it integrates with your uh, payroll system and integrates the multiple bank accounts, car corporate cards. There is no more complicated enterprise flow on the planet. Expense management is the most complicated product you could build, which sounds crazy. You'd be like, what? What are you talking about? Like, that's, that's why. I'm like, well, there is no more complicated collaboration product than an expense management. And so if you can do that, everything else is easier. Like every other payment that you do is a simplification of expense management. It's like an invoice is an expense report that you send your client with an easier approval process. 
A paycheck is an extension report submitted twice a month that's automatically approved for a fixed amount with some tax stuff on top of it. Mm -hmm. um, and they're like, a bill is the opposite side of an invoice. A P2P payment, like a Venmo style payment, that's just an invoice stripped down, simplified for a consumer. And I'm like, yes, there's a lot of accounting implications under the scenes. And so our design is not an expense reporting design. It's a, it's a request money design. It's basically like request money from this person. If you request it from your company, under the hood, we track it as an expense report and exported to GL accordingly. If you say, no, request money from this client, well, that's an invoice. That just has different accounting implications. If you request money from your roommate, well, that's like something else different. But like the process of requesting money is exactly the same in all of those. Like it's the whole idea that these are different has nothing to do with money transmission, technology. Uh, there's some accounting differences behind under the hood, if you will. But by and large, they are far more similar than they are different. And that's always been true. I think that this whole idea that these are different products is it's only driven by the enterprise sales model. Because you're an enterprise salesperson, you need a really tight pitch. You need to explain exactly what you do. You just have to say one use case. And then your entire business result is a consequence of your sales model. And so if you have a team out there pitching a single use case, well, then your entire business is going to be a single use case because that's just how it works. We're not pitching a single use case. It's like, we're just like, we'll do everything for you. And so our business model is different and our product supports our business model. And so our product and business model are doing everything of the pattern of a list of expenses that you give to someone and the pay in return. And that describes basically all the payments. I think a lot of accountants would say that you're probably oversimplifying payroll. So in theory, payroll is just another expense report because the rules are defined. You know the parameters. The issue with payroll, and Gusto has had this issue too, is all the state and local agencies and everybody that you have to keep up with, and they are archaic. It's very difficult. That's the challenge that well, I think we uh, see. Let me tell you a secret about the payroll industry. No one does that. Actually, there's a company called like Symmetry that does it for everyone. Gusto, everyone uses the same company. There's like a couple of them mm -hmm. um, that basically do all of that. And so no, of course, that sounds like a nightmare. I wouldn't want to do that. No one does that. None of the new payroll companies do that. Everyone uses the same company and we use them too. So that's the, that was what I was looking for is who's, who you're outsourcing it to and who's handling that because mm -hmm. that's the biggest hill to climb. And that's what everybody has to deal with. So. Oh yeah. And that's a complete nightmare to get me wrong. No, no I'm not, I'm not claiming the payroll is easy. I mean, we've been working on it for years now. And so, yeah, it's hard. It takes, a, it, it takes at least years to do. And that's even when you already know everything about payments. And I think there's money transmission licensing. It's taken a super long time. There's actually doing uh, like pay, the paying the tax authorities. Like that's a huge thing. So yes, there's a ton of work that goes into payroll system. No doubt. But I would say that that's why we've been working on it and talking about it for years now. So with that in mind, what are the limits of a super app? Are you going to have, <laughs> yeah, like, it's, it's are you going to have a GL? Like, are you going to like, what are the limits? Yeah. Good question. Mm -hmm. So I'd say, bank? first off, being a bank, that question comes up a lot. Being a bank kind of sucks. It actually doesn't get you really much of anything. We can lend, we can issue cards, we can do deposits, we can do all that. Not a bank. I don't, I'm just, it's really unclear actually what being a bank does for you. But if you just strip out, like, actually, the, uh, do we offer banking functionality? Yeah, it's like we basically do all that. So yeah, so I'd say from the customer perspective, the customer, like we're effectively a bank and that'll become more and more true over time for a lot, of, not just us, for a lot of people. I would say when it comes to anything between unstructured WhatsApp style chat and uh, highly structured concur style expense management, which no one describes it as a range like that, but that's the way we see it. So yeah, we're going to be 
at every point in that range. We're going to fill with that line. What is the the extent of super? There really is no extent of a super app. Like, or especially it's time. Time is like the uh, the barrier there. Mm-hmm. Like, I think actually Elon Musk, because we just talked about him earlier, made this interesting announcement. He's buying Twitter, um, which we all know, and he's like, "Yeah, we're going to make Twitter into the everything app." Which I kind of liked. I'm like, ooh, that's, you know what? That's better than Super App because it captures it a bit more. It's not super, it's everything. And it's like WeChat for America or WeChat for outside of China, if you will. And so I'd say, like, so what can a, a Super App do? Well, what does WeChat do? Basically everything. And so, uh, yeah, we have unlimited ambition, but we're gated by time. Okay. The video that you guys did. When you went public, the, you had to read certain statements. I forgot what the video is called. Oh yeah, but I that yeah, that shit was so dope. Video. It was the same people that were in the music video too. That was yeah, yeah. so dope. Uh, so the story behind yeah. that is kind of funny. So when you go public, everything's hot, super regulated. And again, I think for good reasons because they don't want you to overly promote your stock and all this stuff. And so when you announce your S one, it's basically this one statement that you can't change a word of. It's like this is the statement. You can put out a press release with this exact text, and you cannot change a single word of it. And then so we said, well. For accessibility reasons, could we do an audio release for those who can't read? And they're like, oh. I mean, yeah, legally, so long as you stick exactly to the text, that should be no problem. And like, are there any constraints in like, you know, how it appears? And they're like, no, I mean, it's for an accessibility is an ADA thing. So sure, you can do whatever you want. And then so we made it nuts, but yes. <laughs> uh, it sticks exactly to the text because we can't change it. In fact, there was one word at the very end. He just says, yeah. Yeah. And that was actually a big problem because they're like, whoa, 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 you added a word. We agreed that you wouldn't change a single word. And we're like, I don't know. And the other funny thing was in that video, there's a guy with the weird jello on like the rocket ship quarter machine sort of thing. That was the other thing. The SEC is like, um, <laughs> you have it on a rocket ship. Uh, this is obviously suggestive. And then the, my favorite guy in the world, uh, Ted, uh, Ted uh, he's, uh, he is our uh, SEC attorney. He's the best. He like invented the direct listing. It's like amazing. And I think he's talking to SEC and he's like, yes, but it's a rocket going nowhere. And that was actually the clincher. They're like, all right, in that case, it's okay. So. Oh, that's dope. It's like you guys can, you play by the rules in a fun, in your own way. So <laughs> I know we could probably go on for days and days. Do we have anything else, Nicole? Do we, any other questions? Um no, this is awesome. I think I wrote down like 10 quotes. <laughs> I, I wrote down three awesome pages quotes. of, of yeah. quotes. Yeah. And <laughs> still, I get to go back and listen to this again and again. This is going to be great. This is awesome. Um, thank you for spending time with us and coming on. I don't know what we did to deserve this. I mean, so thank you. <laughs> well, again. you spent 20 hours well, running around. I did. Yeah, that's, that's our policy. We actually have a couple policies, <laughs> one of which is we will reimburse any tattoo of an expensive logo. And uh, second is if you write if you write a rap for us, we definitely go to your podcast. Oh, we're, all right, yeah. Well, you did you did agree to come on before you even knew I wrote a rap, so that was even that, that was even better. <laughs> that rap is my job resume, so I know you don't look at resumes, but that's that's my resume right there. I'm a, I'm gonna submit that, okay. and then any job openings, I can be like your traveling rapper. I don't know, I can do something. I can do something creative. <laughs> I think it's it's obvious. It's just, there's such obvious synergies here. Yeah, bring me around to the conferences. I'll I'll be on your booth and I'll just perform <laughs> it. That's that's all you need. I go to conferences all well, the time. Well, it has been great being here. Thank you so much. I yeah. uh, really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, David. I'm this gonna play. I'm you. gonna play the rap to to wrap us wrap it up. Wrap it up.
You expensive, hi, baby? Yeah. Yeah. Talk to me. You want me to tell you something? Uh-huh. I know what you want to hear. Our team's extremely happy. I think that you are, too. I think I love you, baby. And loved by clients, too. They'll snap a picture, girl. Come on, let's save the world. All the receipts you capture, world's oyster, you're the pearl. Even accountants happy, complete with payroll too. I call you super rap, you've come to the rescue. We'll be around forever, come on, let's save the world. Oh boy, you drive me crazy. Sit at my long ass table. They call me CEO, post IPO, with the jingle now, it's simple now. One single app, it's universal, wow, user experience, we're doubling down. Relationship end to end encrypt, maybe it's irreverent. Super Bowl ad, raise a fist, Forrest Gump can't outrun this. Straight from the cloud to outer space, expense reports that suck replace. Household names were not the same, tiny joke startup in two first place. Receipts to scan. We bypassed. You want tips? Concierge just asked. Did you miss expensify.cash? High margin and enterprise class. We set out to grow without. Sales reps, it's that word of mouth. Payroll now, we fully sourced out. Democracy under fire, we show out. Same low price, why it's so nice. Expensify has changed my life. Blind BC cash trade for dry ice. Borgo Ignacia fly through twice. But I do know one thing though. Competitors come, they go. First age through fourth and fifth age, spend management 2.0. Maybe it's cause we're viral, with our clients we grow. We'll surpass your forecast to change that in the Super Bowl. It's the age of the Super App, 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 the age of the Super App, age of the Super App, age of the Super App, the Super App, the Super App. Don't get me wrong, we have different goals, blurring lines between work and home, yeah they suck. Which startup? We're where you are, you're in control. In the end, we're too disciplined. We'll be around forever, I'm convinced. Support all SMBs in existence. One app, all free pay subscription. You know you want that, so easy to buy. Nine for control or collect for five. You'll enjoy full expensify. All plans include a six-week free try. Guess it sounds too good to be true. Now we generate W-2s. Consolidate all your different tools. One super app made just for you. But I do know one thing, though. Competitors come, they go. First age through fourth and fifth age, spend management 2.0. Maybe it's cause we're viral, with our clients we grow. We'll surpass your forecast to change that in the Super Bowl. Our team's extremely happy, I think that you are too. I think I love you baby. And love by clients too. They'll snap a picture girl, come on let's save the world. All the receipts you capture, world's oyster you're the pearl. Even accountants happy, complete with payroll too. I call you Super Rap. You've come to the rescue. We'll be around forever. Come on, let's save the world. Oh boy, you drive me crazy. Sit at my long ass table. First aid, you say pencil and paper. Then the cloud lasted a decade. Part three, mobile app scan, real receipt. Fourth age was neocard companies. Oh yeah, venture clever way. Failed attempt to exploit interest rates. That brings us to the fifth stage pre-accounting. Here's my candid take. First off, what makes us special? Went public multinational. How did we stretch our cash flow? That's just our business model. Something we really value. We built it from the bottom. Good loaded, woaded. We don't rely on SDR models. Might say iconoclast. Live rich and fun we have. Think back when I would grab. Food stamps in my back pants. Commence up and expense. Dispense expressed how blessed I am. True to the core, convinced we'll save the world. And that's the plan. But I do you know one thing though, competitors come they go. 
first age through fourth and fifth age. Spend management 2.0. Maybe it's cause we're viral. With our clients we grow. We'll surpass your forecast to change that in the Super Bowl. It's the age of the Super App. Age of the Super App. I'm so glad you like it. You don't know how happy I am to see you smile when I was playing that. Because it could go both oh, ways, right? It could have went both ways. You could have been like, what the f*** is this guy doing? Like, <laughs> It could just be like cease and desist or something yeah, like that. Yeah, man. Like, what, what is going on here? Like, what is, what is this? Yeah, great. Well, okay, send me the link. I'm going to get some Spotify playlists. It's going to be great. Oh, for sure, for sure, for sure. I, I haven't even uploaded it. It's like, I'm going to upload it on the podcast, so I'll just send you the podcast link. Yeah. Cool. I don't know. Okay, I, hey, thanks so yeah. much. You have a great day. Thank you, David. Yeah, really See appreciate it. Take Peace care. Out, See you. Bye. Bye. Systems with tech allowances, fintech vendors with some cloud outfits, but now low coding this computer science for accountants. In fact, I'm remoting in new tools, paperless, asynchronous for data analysts, APIs to find all your SaaS apps connected, cloud computing plugins for your implementation, automate technology to leverage the meta, disrupt your desktop, then break it down. We sharing metrics, AI to the GPT to the AI disrupt. Bitcoin, Ethereum, and crypto agents disrupt. Time to tweak your tech team and make some changes disrupt. If my staff quit, I still have automation disrupt. Last episode just went viral. Let's go, it's gonna make your head spiral. Scarano, Casey, Sunshine, Accounting High Show. The lab is ready, it's tech time, yo. Glitch, it's tech time. Disrupt, it's tech time. Disrupt. It's tech time at Accounting High. It's tech time. Disrupt. It's tech time. Disrupt. It's tech time. Disrupt. It's tech time at Accounting High. It's tech time. Disrupt. It's tech time. 